0: Well, good morning, church. I hope everybody's doing well. I want to welcome those of you who are watching from our Knoxville location and online and those of you who are in the room here today in Maryville. Welcome. We are so glad you're here as we continue our series as we journey through the book of 1 Corinthians called Messy, And as always, I'm so grateful to be able to, to challenge us with God's word today and so thankful for Pastor Trent and the team to give me an opportunity to get up here and, and share with you all. And so uh, if you don't know me, my name is Landon. I've been on staff for eight years here at the church. And the first seven years here at FC was spent in student and family ministry. So I started as the associate student pastor, was student pastor for several years, ended up uh, leading our kids and our student team as the next-gen pastor. And so really the first seven years here was spent all in student ministry. So I started here when I was 20 years old. And looking back on 20-year-old Landon and, and man, just what a, what a different world that was. Even just as a church, you know, eight years ago, how different the church even looked. Uh, but, you know, so, so a year ago I transitioned out of student ministry and into a different role here at the church. And I hadn't really been back to FC students on a Wednesday night much this past year. And, uh, man, FC students, if your a teenager, is not a part of FC students, you are missing out. What an incredible ministry. Pastor Alex and Pastor Trey and the whole team do an incredible job with our student ministry. But when I come back to student ministry on a Wednesday night, I feel 20 years old again, okay? I am like, I'm, I'm energized, I'm excited, I'm hanging out with students, I'm playing games, we, you know, we're just having a great time. And so we are, I, I come back to FC students several months ago on a Wednesday night, and they have a big event, and, and kids get saved, it was awesome, and so we're hanging out after the service, and I am, I'm just having a great time. And, and so I don't know if you've seen around our location here, we have these A-frame signs, okay? Uh, and so there's these A-frame signs that are about this high. And you remember last week, Pastor Heath, if you, if you didn't catch the message, I want to challenge you to go back and, and watch that. But Pastor Heath brought out a hurdle on stage. And if you know me and Pastor Heath, we're not the tallest individuals, okay? <laughs> we're, we're, we're little fellas, all right? And so uh, the, the hurdle kind of came up to his chin, and it, it would on me as well. And uh, the A-frame sign is, is definitely a, a pretty large sign. And so we're there on a Wednesday night. We're all having a good time. And our, our Knoxville Kids director, uh, Noah, he says, I bet you could still jump that sign. I was like, no way I can jump that sign. And so Noah, when I'm around Noah, he, he likes to hype me up, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you have a friend like that or if you have like an old dog and you buy him a puppy and uh, he comes back alive. Uh, that's the way n- me and Noah are. Uh, Noah likes to get me to do things that that uh, he'll get me to jump off cliffs at the lake and stuff like that. And so he's like, I bet you could jump over that sign. And I was like, no way, dude. I am vertically challenged. I cannot do this. And he talked me into it. And so I figured it might be fun to start off with the video of that uh this morning uh so so let's go over here to the screen uh here so yes you can Stop him hyping me up hyping me up (laughs) you got it this is all you bro this is gonna be so sick all right you got it dude just sprint and just launch watch out y'all need to move it may be tragic yes sir here we go here we go here (laughs) we go You know, I thought that I could do it. I really did. I mean, I I knew I couldn't. And then Noah was like, you got this, bro. And I was like, you're right. I got this, which led to this picture right here. (laughs) Looking like I'm on the mechanical bull at the Cotton Eye Joe, right? Now get that off the screen. I don't need that up here anymore. But my goodness, I could not do it. And here's here, I, I underestimated how, how little I can actually jump. And here's what I know as human beings, okay? Because you hopefully don't try that today uh, at one of the A-frame signs around here today. Uh, but here's what I know as humans. We often underestimate things that we should overestimate. And then we also often overestimate things we should underestimate so I should I I overestimated my jumping abilities and I underestimated how little I actually could jump and I I underestimated the size of the sign and we do this all the time right you do this in your life We underestimate how long the traffic is going to take to get you there, and you overestimate how quickly you can legally drive. Anybody like that? Like, you always push it. Uh, Or we underestimate how expensive the project that we're going to do on our house is, and then we overestimate our abilities to just go to Home Depot and figure out how to do it. Um, or, or, Or we underestimate how sore we will be, and we overestimate how young we think We are. And if you're just moving here from another part of the country, okay, I want to say welcome, but we Tennesseans, we have a problem with this when it comes to two specific areas, and I'll tell you what they are. Snow and football. (laughs) All right? Let me just go ahead and cue you in, Californians, on a little secret. Okay? Let me cue you in here. If they call for snow and they cancel school, It will not snow. It will rain all day, right? Okay. Second thing that we do, all right, if you hear the dreaded words, it feels like 98. (laughs) Some of you aren't laughing. 1998, all right, some of you weren't born then. 1998 was the last time the University of Tennessee won the national championship. And if someone says, I just got a feeling it feels like 98, I think we're gonna, I think this is our year. We're gonna surprise some people. We are going four and eight to the Music City Bowl. Okay, we're gonna go to the Duke's mayonnaise bowl at the end of the year. Okay, uh, we overestimate and underestimate all the time, and it will leave your kids heartbroken when a snow day doesn't actually take place, and it'll leave you Tennessee fans. I know we got a good quarterback this year, but just just guard your heart, as the proverbs say. Uh, just guard your heart, because here's the deal. We have a collective struggle with guesstimation. We don't guesstimate very well. And, and many times in our lives, this doesn't lead us to just, you know, a heartbreak over a canceled snow day or a football season. But actually, sometimes we'll do this and it will lead to heartbreak that's even a little bit worse. Maybe you're a teenager in the room and you, you said, my parents would never get a divorce. They never would do that. And you got sat down and you were told the news and it broke your heart. Or, or maybe you're a college student and, and you said, I, you know, my faith is real. I'm never going to walk away. I'm never going to struggle with those things in college that, that, that all my other friends, I, I, that they told me I would struggle with. And then your freshman year's over and you've been at the end of a bottle all semester and, and you're here in the summer and, and you, you struggled with guesstimating. Or, or maybe you're, you're a single and, and you've, you've passed your college years and, and you said, I'm never going to lower my standards in this season of life for the person I'm going to date. And, and, and now you're lonely and you're, you're trying to figure out what your next step is in life and, and all of a sudden those standards begin to, to slip. Or maybe, maybe you have young kids like I do and you said, I'll never talk to my kids the way I heard that person at Walmart talking to their kids. I'm never going to say that I'm never going to re- overreact and and they drive you crazy without sleep, and you do, or maybe maybe you have maybe you have teenagers and you you think well, my my kids would never do that like they're never going to be that that's my baby, not my baby boy that is not going to do that and and we struggle to guesstimate, or maybe you, you, you your kids are long gone, and you thought my marriage will never grow cold in the real honeymoon phase after marriage or after after the kids grow up and they're gone and and now your marriage is growing cold. See, we have this thing where we really struggle to overestimate and underestimate, and our collective struggle to guesstimate leaves our life in a mess, and that's exactly where the church in Corinth, as we're journeying through in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is going to be today. They are not estimating. They're overestimating and underestimating, and it's leading them to a mess in 1 Corinthians 10. 10. And so let's go ahead and turn there, and I do want to cue us in on the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and so let me just go ahead and say, if, you, if, if, you ha- if you're new in this series, go back on YouTube, go to our website, download the FC app, and get caught up, because this is a great book, it's got a lot of great challenges in it, and so, but let me go ahead and catch us up on the, on, on, on all that's happening in this ancient Greek city of Corinth, And and so First off, we we know this in the context, and we've been ca- we've been talking about this. The Corinthians they would worship idols. So there's different idols, and, and as you look at the as as you look at the city of Corinth, you'll see that there's you know the the, the place for Jupiter and Aphrodite and all the different gods and false gods and goddesses, and, and so they would worship their idols through food, and so they would have these cultic feasts and these cultic festivals, and and their food always kind of played a part in their worship of these idols. And so this is kind of the world that Jesus is is brought into. And that happens in the early church. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and he institutes the ordinance called the Lord's Supper. So Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're not familiar what that, with what that is and you're new to church, basically what we do as Christians, and we've done it for for thousands, for 2,000 years now, is we will take bread and juice that, that, sig- that symbolize Jesus' broken body and his blood spilled for us. And so Jesus comes onto the scene. And he says you don't need to, to worship idols with your food, but food actually kind of still plays a part in our worship in that we, we would remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. And, and here's what people begin to think in Corinth. They see in, in three here, people thought that eating the Lord's Supper made them immune from worshiping the old idols they followed. So originally they would they would offer their, their food to these false gods, and Jesus comes in, he institutes the Lord's Supper, and, and so they begin to take the Lord's Supper, and they think that just taking the Lord's Supper Would be the thing that would keep them from going and falling back into their old idolatry. And what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is number 4 is that the Corinthians began falling into idolatry. And so Paul warns them and he says, don't do it. So, as we're going to see, if you're, if you're following on from verse 1, we're going to start in verse 12. But basically, in, in verse 1 through 11, Paul kind of references back to the Old Testament. He says, "Don't remember, remember the Israelites? They followed Moses out of Egypt, and they watched God do all these crazy, incredible miracles. And even them, even they fell back into idolatry. And so, he is using that as an example to encourage his readers in Corinth. And he says this in verse 12. If you're following along, it will be on screen as well. It says this, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. Therefore, if anyone thinks he can jump an A-frame sign, take heed lest he fall. All right. What he's saying is, is anyone, anyone can fall into sin. And we ought to take heed. And here's what he here's what he says in verse 13 says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but the temptation but but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape everybody say the word escape i want us to remember that we're going to come back to that word towards the end of my message today but i want you to just kind of just sticky note that in your mind he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, we could really do an entire sermon on, on these, few, these few sentences here. But, but he's saying the other side of the coin to verse 12. Paul is telling them, don't overestimate your ability to stand up against sin. But also, don't underestimate the power of God to provide an escape. He said, God will not tempt you beyond your ability because God will also provide a way out for those of us who are in Christ. And and they were underestimating things they should have overestimated in Corinth. And they were overestimating things they should have underestimated in Corinth. And so here is his big challenge. He says it in verse 14. It's kind of like his big application from his whole part of the letter. He says, therefore, my beloved, which is just a, a, a term of endearment saying, therefore, friends, flee from idolatry. And so the next part of this verse is a little bit confusing, so I'm going to read it slow, and then we're going to recap it. So it goes into verse 15, and he says this. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a, participa- is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. It's referring to the Lord's Supper. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Of Christ. Next verse. Here. Verse seventeen says, Because there is one bread, who we are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are those not participants and those sacrifices participants in the altar? So he says this, and he goes, and so in verse 19 he says, What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now, as I was prepping through the, the, these verses this week, uh, I, had to, to really, I had to really break down this verse. So I want to kind of summarize this, because especially if you're, if you're newer to faith, this could be a very confusing passage. So, so let me summarize these verses here. Let me give you a, a quick summary of 1 Corinthians 10 5 through 19. Uh, it, 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 says, it says this, okay? So first thing that we see in our summary here is number one is this, is that the Lord's Supper is one way Christians worship Jesus. So we as Christians, we want to be close to Jesus. We want to commune with God. We remember his sacrifice through the, through the juice that signifies the blood that was shed for us and the body that was broken through the bread. So the Lord's Supper is one way that we worship Jesus as Christians. But number two is eating the bread and juice isn't the worship, but the worship is the heart behind taking it. Now, this is one difference we have as evangelicals, as Baptists, and that would be different from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church would say that the, the blood and, or the juice and the bread actually transubstantiate into the actual body and blood of Jesus. Therefore, when you take it, you are participating in worship. Now, we as Baptists and we as as, as evangelicals, what we believe is, is that the bread and juice aren't actually the actual body and blood. They're just symbols that we use in our worship to remember what Christ has done. And and so he's saying that eating the bread and juice isn't the worship. You can eat bread and juice anywhere, but the worship is the heart that is behind taking it and what we remember. And and three is this, that, that the food in idol worship isn't the worship but whom they offer it to. So they might have offered bread or meat or or vegetables, and and those things are just bread and meat and vegetables. There's nothing different about those foods. We address that in chapter 8. But but what he's saying is that when you offer those to idols, that becomes your worship. And then he finishes up with this verse, and he finishes up with this statement here. Basically, he is saying, for is that offering food to their idols is demon worship. Now, You might be thinking, okay, well, that just got really serious really quickly. And it did, because here's what he's going to say in verse 21. He says this, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, and the cup of demons. And you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. In other words, it's inconsistent and powerless to take the Lord's Supper and worship idols because they tried to worship Jesus and idols and live their lives and and go about and and do their, their families and do their church things. And they tried to do all these different things while taking the Lord's Supper and still following their idols. And it led to their church becoming an absolute mess. And so here's two things that I think the church in Corinth did that we often do as well. The first thing is this. They overestimated their potential to sin. Now, what this means is they thought that their simple participation in the Lord's Supper kept them from living a life full of idolatry. They thought that because they drank the juice and they broke the bread, that it would make them immune from living a life of sin. They thought that simply they could participate in the sacrament or the ordinance, that now they could no longer fall back into the idolatry that they once walked in. Maybe, maybe you've, you've been that way before. You thought that just going to church would save you from a life of sin. It doesn't. You thought that maybe just getting in a small group would fix all your sin problems. It doesn't. You thought that maybe you wouldn't struggle anymore now that you accepted Jesus into your life and everything would just be completely different. It is, but you're still going to struggle. We're not perfect the moment we raise our hand and receive Jesus. And they thought that just because they could eat that bread and drink that juice, that their potential to sin was now limited. And they bought into a lie and Paul is saying, you have thought of yourself more highly than you ought to. You have overestimated your potential to fall back into sin. And the second thing is, that they did is they underestimated the power of sin. Now, when I read this passage, because in verse 20, let's go back to what he says in verse 20. He says this, all right. Now, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. So when I read this passage, I thought, okay, Paul just got really serious here. Because he calls them out and he says the things that you are worshiping, when you choose not to follow Jesus, are not things, they are beings. He is saying that the idols that we worship and follow are Demons. So I went to a private Christian school, K through 12. My undergraduate was in theological studies, and I had my master's in theology. And it wasn't really until this past year that I, I, I'd heard these words before that I really made the connection about idolatry and demons. And, and, and this is, you know, you, you think, like is this just one isolated passage that Paul brings up? And, and you really, as you kind of survey throughout Scripture, you see that there's a connection between idols and the demonic all throughout Scripture. So we could look at Deuteronomy 32. That talks about how, how the, the people of God, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger, and they sacrificed to demons that were no gods. Leviticus 17.7 says that, talks about how the people in Israel shall no longer sacrifice to Baal, but he's saying, it actually says, the literal reading says they shall no longer sacrifice to goat demons. In 1 Timothy 4.1 talks about how, how that the people will, and even in the New Testament, Paul tells his young protege, Timothy, he says that they will depart to false teaching, which is actually the teaching of demons, So what we often do is there's this temptation in American society where we don't really talk about the demonic. We're more about kind of self-help and we're more about just doing better in our life, creating better habits and routines, which I get that. But there's a temptation in our modern culture to secularize everything and say, well, I just struggle with sex or I just struggle with money or I just struggle with running to something other than Jesus. And we use this term struggle as kind of a way to, to kind of neuter the term, to kind, of, to kind of make it a little bit softer and to say, oh, I, I just struggle with it. But Paul is saying, you don't struggle with idols, you love the demonic. And when you pull that back, that's why Paul is so serious when he says, run from idolatry. It's why running back to idols is so serious For you and I too. Because if true, if the idols that we worship are really influenced by the demonic, then you and I don't struggle with things. We love the devil. We don't love sex. We love the demonic feeling that it gives us. We don't love money. We love the enemy. And our only hope in overcoming the pit of hell is running back to a crucified and risen Savior. See, we literally need this love deep in our bones to be crucified out of us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if we overestimate our potential to sin and we underestimate the power that sin has, then we too will love idols and our lives will be a mess. So here's my bottom line. I want to sum it up to you like this is that we overestimate ourselves and we underestimate our sin. See, this is something that that we all do. It's something that you and I, we have this, this deep love for our sin, and we often overestimate how powerful and how strong and how good we are, and we underestimate how powerful and how evil and how bad our sin really is. And if you're not careful, Christian, if you're not careful, you can think that you're above sinning. And you can think that you're immune to sin, and you can think that maybe your spouse is above sinning and is immune to sin, or you can trust your self-discipline, or you can put faith in your own habits, and you begin to take your sin less and less serious, and I promise you it'll make your life more and more of a mess. I surrendered my life to ministry when I was 16 years old, and when when I surrendered my life to ministry... Uh, I was very excited, and, and I had all these different pastors that I looked up to, many in my local church, but many in other local churches all around the nation, and uh, there were different types of pastors. I, I always loved, there were, there were some guys who who they followed every verse, verse by verse. They were super conservative. They were super theologically driven, text driven, and I would love to listen to those preachers, and then I would I would start listening to the guys who were a little bit more charismatic, and, and, and maybe they had a little bit of different interpretation of the scripture, and I would listen to all these different guys, and they loved people, and they love Jesus, and these people, they love Jesus, and they love the Bible, and they did all these different things, and I, I remember as a young 16-year-old who was looking up to all these different guys in ministry, I was just an, uh, just oohed and awe over how they would preach, and how their churches would grow, and, and, and I remember just the first time that one of the guys that I looked up to, there was a pastor in Seattle who I listened to, uh, I read all of his books, I listened to all of his sermons, and, and he was d- disqualified from ministry because of an abuse of power. There was another guy, he, he was super conservative. There was another guy who was a Baptist, and he had a church in South Carolina, and, and he got fired from ministry, whom I looked up to and who I wanted to be like and who I wanted to preach like, and, and he was an alcoholic, and he was disqualified from ministry. And then there was another guy who, who I, I was like, man, that guy, he's just out there. In the, he's in the middle of New York City, and, and he's just loving Jesus. People come to faith, and I just saw how the, the Lord was using him, and, and he was cheating on his wife and was disqualified from ministry. And, and, and then I remember even hit close to home that in my, in my home church, there was, a, there was a, a pastor who was kicked out of ministry because he was caught in, an illegal, or in a sex sting. And I just remember, like, as a young guy in ministry, just being so ashamed that these guys I looked up to and these guys I wanted to be like, These guys I wanted to lead like. And I I, I remember being so ashamed and so heartbroken. and, 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 And many people just think, how could they do that? How could they disqualify themselves from ministry? But if we take the words of Paul seriously, none of us are above that. I mean... All it would take if not for the grace of God, I could, I could blow up my ministry. I could, I could betray my friends. And, 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 and I could be disqualified from ministry in, in, in an instant if it wasn't for the grace of God. And I, that could be the, me because that's what sin does if we don't take heed lest you fall. And see, it's easy for us to look at guys with a gift set for ministry and, and overestimate their gifts and underestimate how badly we all need grace. And this isn't just for pastors. This is for you. Because many of you, you grew up in church. You you, you serve. You lead a small group. You have a good track record. But hear me, that does not make you immune to sin ruining your life. See, sin does not discriminate whether you're a Baptist or a Charismatic. It doesn't discriminate on your age or your maturity. It doesn't discriminate upon your religion or your political philosophy. It doesn't discriminate whether you're a pastor or a layperson. Sin has one singular agenda and that is to kill you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And it will destroy you unless you call upon nail-pierced hands to fight the battle for you. I just want to plead with you today. Don't Overestimate yourself and underestimate your sin and the power it has. And here's what Paul reminds us in a letter that he writes to the the church in Ephesus. He says this. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you see what Paul's trying to do? He's pulling back our secularization curtain that says everything's just a struggle of our will. It's not a struggle of our will. He says that we don't wrestle against our will. We don't wrestle against our habits. We don't wrestle against just trying to be a better person. In fact, we wrestle against authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have to realize there's a far greater struggle than just a struggle with things. There is a heavenly spiritual battle between good and evil that's going on around us. And so I want you to think back for a moment, okay, to to the Old Testament. Think about the idol's that the people of God worship throughout the Bible. So I'll give you one example, and I'll give you one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. All right, the first example is is a false god named Molech. Now, Molech was a Canaanite god, and in the ancient Near Eastern history, you would read about Molech, and and this was a god that basically, in order to worship the god, or the, the false god, small, lowercase g, in order to worship this lowercase g god, you would, there would be sexual perversion, and you would offer your infant of his sacrifice. So this was really common throughout ancient Near Eastern history. And, and you read that that sexual perversion and infant sacrifices, you know, it was happening with Molech and, and, and there would be all this different, these different false gods. There'd be Ashtor, there'd be Dagan, there would be Ashtore, uh, there would be Dagon, there would be Baal, all these different Canaanite gods that people would worship. And almost every single time there was sexual perversion and infant sacrifice involved in those ancient Near Eastern false religions. So... Let's move to the New Testament we see in Corinth. Corinth is built around a temple to Aphrodite. Aphrodite is where we get the word Aphrodisiac, and there would be temple cult prostitutes that that would be there, and you would take service with those prostitutes as a way to worship the goddess Aphrodite. So we think about how Paul says that in the Old Testament, they didn't sacrifice to Molech, they sacrificed to demons. And you think about what was happening and what they were tricking the people of God into doing was sexual perversion and infant sacrifice. Now, the reason I bring this up is I find it interesting that Paul notes that it's not a demon and it includes these things. And I want you to think about how our culture worships sexual perversion and abortion. And you think... You have to realize when you take in the whole of scripture that there's something more going on in our culture than just a struggle with politics. It's something more. It's something evil. It's something demonic. And you and I, we'd be foolish. And and, and it's not just those two issues. It's, It's all the idols that we worship. That may not be an idol that you worship, but we all have materialism and we all worship something. We all struggle with our idol worship and we'd be foolish to think that there's not a deeper power at play here that wants to trick the people of God, you and I, into running back to our idolatry, thinking that taking the Lord's Supper and going to church and being in a small group is gonna make you immune from Satan tricking you and scheming you into sin we would be foolish to think that. See, there are spiritual powers better than you on your best day without Jesus. See, we often overestimate our culture and we underestimate the power of sin. And we often overestimate our kids thinking, our kids will never fall into that. They'd never be like that. They would never be tricked into that. My kids are different. And we overestimate our our kids' ability to run from sin and we underestimate the power of sin. Or we overestimate our character, thinking that I'd never do that, I'd never be like them. And we underestimate the power of sin. And the list could go on and on. We overestimate our way of doing things. We overestimate our religious practice. We overestimate our leaders. We overestimate our pastors. And we underestimate the power of sin. But here's the deal. You might be here today, and your life may be full of mess. And it may be full of shame. And the power of sin is just kicking your tail. And you're trapped and you're caught and you don't know how to get out of this mess of idolatry that you've made. And I'm just here to tell you this, don't underestimate the power of Jesus. See, all the power of sin and Satan and every demon in hell tried to hold Jesus down. And as he took his last breath on the cross, the whole world underestimated Jesus Christ. But three days later, he made his victory over sin and death. And God made the way of escape for you. He made the way. He made the way of escape for you. He made the way of escape for the whole world. And he once and for all, the resurrection and the empty tomb was a proclamation that the demonic is not as strong as the righteous, holy power of God. And when we get our eyes on that and we turn from our idols and we run to Jesus, we now have victory and we walk in victory over the mess. And we walk in victory over the power of the enemy. See, some of you are here today, and the reason why your life is a mess is because you're not worshiping Jesus. You haven't given your life to him. You haven't come to a place where you've, you've realized, I, I, I'm, I'm in the mess, I'm in the muck and the mire, and I'm stuck in it. And you haven't run to Jesus. And you're, you're, you're trying to fix yourself through religion. That's maybe why you're here today or why you're watching online. You're trying to fix yourself through the religion. I'm just telling you, religion's not going to fix you. Jesus can fix you. Coming to him, a relationship with him can fix you. And it doesn't just fix you, it changes you. And it gives you a better God to worship. Some of you are Christians, you're here today. And and you've had a time in your life where you love God more than you do today. And the reason why is because you've bought back into the same idols that you once walked in. And the, the invitation for you today is you just, you just turn. Because here's the deal. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian in the room, you've given your life to Jesus, there's nothing standing in your way of following Jesus and being in a close relationship with him other than your obedience. Sin and death already been conquered on your behalf. You just have to repent and follow him. I don't know what the the call is for you today. For Christian, it might be to repent, to turn, to to confess to God that that you've been following idols and, and, and you want to follow him. And then for some of you today, the decision is clear. What's separating you and God is a gap called sin. And until you confess that sin to Jesus and you ask the Holy Spirit to save you, then you cannot be right with your Father in Heaven. Is your life a mess today? Like, well, I, you know, I don't really know. I just, I just want to keep doing my way. Well, let me just ask you, how's that working for you? Is it messy? Is it hurt? You lay your head on your pillow at night thinking, either there's got to be more or can I get out of this? just tell you, Jesus Christ is waiting. Take heed lest you fall. He has made it a way of escape on your behalf. I actually think there might be somebody in the room today or somebody watching online who, who might need to make a decision today to follow Jesus and to give up their old life of sin and to be saved today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me. If you say, Pastor Landon, I, I think today is my day. I, 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 my life is a mess. I hate what I've done. I've hate what my sin, how it's wrecked me. But I want to follow Jesus today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. And this prayer, it doesn't save you. If it was the words that come out of your mouth that save you, then we would be doing witchcraft in here. We're not doing witchcraft. We're talking to God. You're not just repeating words. You're talking to your creator in heaven. And I want to challenge you today to pray this directly to God and you're just going to ask Him to forgive you of your sin and you're going to commit to to following Him and believe that He is who He says He is. If that's you and you need to make that decision today, I want you to repeat after me but I want you to say it with your heart to God. Say this, God, speak to me, you can do it, I know that you love me know you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. Come into my life so that I might live for you. I give Jesus all authority of my life today. And I turn from my idols to follow you. save me if you prayed that prayer to follow Jesus in the room and, and, and with every head bowed and every eye closed here's what I want to invite you to do just as a symbol of your surrender to him on the count of three I want you to just pop up your hand is there anybody who say yeah that's me one, two, three anybody say that yes sir I see that hand anybody else just say that in the room anybody else at all awesome I might have missed somebody but I know I'm talking to one gentleman in the back Sir, I would just—I want to challenge you today. Before you leave, or before you leave, stop by our care and prayer room in our atrium. Or maybe you're watching online and you made that decision. I want to challenge you to text FC Decision one word to nine seven zero zero zero. We have people who want to talk to you, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, or you're in Knoxville and you just raised your hand. We have people who want to follow up with you. We want to help you take that next step in following Jesus. So I want to challenge you to do that. Everybody look up at me. Can we celebrate that that one gentleman today? Maybe you're a Christian in the room and, and you've done exactly what they did in Corinth. You thought that just coming to church has kept you from idols and you've fallen back into your old sin. Well, guess what? The invitation is clear. Turn. Come to him make room for God to move in your heart and change you. I want to challenge you. Maybe you need to come forward and pray and you just need to confess that to Him. Or maybe you just need to stand with your hands in the air as we sing and as a sign of surrender, just surrender it all to Him. I don't know what that decision is for you, but I know that we must take heed lest we fall. Don't underestimate the power of sin in your life we pray for us. Father, I love you so much and I'm so grateful that you, you set your son Jesus to die on a cross for me, for my friends in this room. So I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would convict us of sin this morning and you would move us into a life of godliness. That you would help us turn from the idols and turn from the demonic and turn from the things that are, that are just scheming to get our attention. And God, may we as a church be known as the people who put their attention upon you above everything else. So, Father, I love you and I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.